All right, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on 1 Timothy. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And to keep that in context, we need to remember that Paul has been speaking directly to Timothy about his pastoral responsibilities in Ephesus. Specifically, he's told Timothy that he needs to point out the errors of the false teachers and that he needs to command and teach the truth as well as live out the truth in such a way that he can be a concrete example of discipleship for the church. Well, what comes next here in chapter 5 are instructions then for how to do that, specifically in relationship to specific groups of people that make up the church. And so what we get are things like this. In verses 1 and 2, we get instructions for how to just to relate to different age groups in the churches. Timothy goes about the task as a young man, uh, exhorting and teaching and correcting and reproofing. How do you do that in relationship to different age groups in the church? That's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 16 are instructions for widows. Then in verses 17 through 25, it's instructions concerning some things regarding the elders. And then actually across the chapter break in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we get instructions concerning slaves. All of these represent different uh, people groups, groups of people within the church or instructions for how to deal with these different groups. And this whole large section ends then by restating the call to Timothy to teach and exhort these things, which is what we were just talking about in the middle of chapter 4. So presumably, these are some of the specific groups of people that need some correction or need some instruction. And Paul wants Timothy to address the issues in each group while he's waiting for Paul to come. And so in this particular recording, we're going to look at the first couple. We won't look at all of them in this session. We'll look at the instructions for different age groups and the instructions for widows. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives some guidelines for how to relate to different age groups in the church, especially as Timothy is commanding and teaching and all of that in the church. And so here's what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, and to the younger men as brothers, and to the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, in the previous paragraphs in chapter 4, remember that this originally was a letter, and there weren't these chapter and verse divisions as we have them. Those were added later. So, in the previous paragraph in chapter 4, Paul had called Timothy to command and teach and exhort these things. But Timothy is young by their standards. So how, as a young man, should he appeal to the different age groups as he instructs them and corrects them? Well, that's the dominant question that verses 1 and 2 seek to answer. The word appeal in verse 1 is the verb form of the same word that's translated exhortation in 4.13. And that helps us see the connection between the two paragraphs. And so as he's appealing, that is, as he's exhorting, How should he do that? Well, for the older men, which is the same word for elder, not that all these men probably were elders, but it is the same word. For an older man, Paul says, don't sharply rebuke him. Instead, appeal to him with the honor and with the respect like you're appealing to a father. And so give him honor, give him respect because of his age and his position in a culture that highly valued their elders. That's the appropriate way to do it, right? Like show them honor, show them respect. What about the younger men? Well, appeal to them 
as brothers. Uh, come alongside them, and they're your brothers in the faith, and so appeal to them along the side as a brother. What about older women? Well, appeal to them like mothers with the same respect and the same honor and the same deference you would give to a mother. So like that. What about younger women? Well, you got to remember to treat them like sisters in all purity. Make sure there can be no accusations about the purity of your treatment of them and the purity of your relationship with them. Now notice what unites all of this together. Well, what unites it all together is the household theme, the family theme, right? Like Paul's giving instructions on how to act as the family or the household of God. And that unites all this together. Fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters. And in a family situation in that culture, loyalty and honor and respect were just huge cultural values. And so let the standards of good and noble families really guide how you relate to the various groups in the church and how you correct them and how you appeal to them as you try to help them follow the way of Jesus. So do it in the way you would do it as a, a good son and a good brother and a good sister and all of that. Then next is the guidance that Paul gives Timothy on issues related to widows. And so before we look at the details, just a little bit of background on this, because the fact that Paul spends so much time in this chapter giving some instructions about widows suggests that there were a good number of widows in the church in Ephesus. And from the nature of the instructions themselves, we can see that all these widows and the way the church is trying to handle these widows is actually causing some problems. And so there's a lot of widows stirring up some difficulties. And what we need to remember is that from the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament forward, caring for widows is actually a key part of God's value system. There's plenty of Old Testament texts that talk about that. For example, Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 and 23 says, you shall not oppress any widow or orphan. If you oppress him at all, and if he cries out to me, I will assuredly hear his cry, says the Lord, right? Or Deuteronomy 24, 17 says, You shall not pervert the justice due to a stranger or an orphan, nor seize a widow's garment as a pledge. Psalm 68, verse 5 says that God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. That's who, who God is in his holy dwelling. Even... Uh, James here in the New Testament, James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, that is to care for, orphans and widows in their distress. And we actually see this care of widows played out in the early church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 6. And it led to a dispute there in Acts chapter 6. Is the church is caring for widows and there's some tension that some widows are being overlooked and neglected and others aren't. It creates some problems. And you can read that again in Acts chapter 6. So all of this is to say that there was a long history of caring for widows among God's people, both in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. It was formalized really in the synagogues in the time period leading up to the New Testament. And then the early church followed suit. And at times, this care of widows did create some problems, as we see in Acts 6 and as we see here in 1 Timothy 5. And so this discussion about widows is really central to one of the church's key benevolence initiatives and how they're going to take care of widows in the church. And so Paul has some instructions on that. And he says this in verse 3, honor widows who are actually widows 
or who are widows indeed. Now, the issue isn't that these are people who are faking that they're widows. That's not the issue. The issue, as we'll see in the following context, is who really fits the bill of a kind of widow that the church should take responsibility for and provide care for? Who, who are the ones that the church is responsible for? That's what he means by actually widows. Um, the widows that the church should take care of. Now, we're not totally sure what led to all the issues in the church at Ephesus, but it seems like what from Paul says here, there were some widows who were taking advantage of the church's willingness to care for widows, and there were some widows who were stirring up trouble in the church, stirring up trouble for the church. And so Paul wants to make clear, here's who the, the church is really responsible for, and here is the kind of person that really is a widow indeed, the kind of widow that the church should see as their primary uh, responsibility. And so first, he addresses some widows that should have other people care for them. He says this in verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren in the area, alive, around, right? Like if they actually have children and grandchildren that could, then they must first learn to show proper respect for their own family and to give back compensation to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So the first line of care for widows is their own family. And if there are some of their own family members who know God and can care for uh, the, their aging parents or grandparents, then that's the ones who should take care of them. So a widow who has family to care for them is not a real widow, not actually a widow. Not That is not a widow that the church is responsible for. Um, these, these children and grandchildren should learn to show proper respect. Literally, practice godliness is the idea. Godliness has been a key word in the letter of 1 Timothy because Paul is concerned that people actually practice their faith and devotion to God. So caring for widows in the family is actually a matter of faithfulness to God and honoring God in a godly sort of way. And so Paul says, um, doing this, caring for widows in your family is acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. So widows who have family to care for them, they're not the ones that the church is responsible for. Um, who is? Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Now, she who is actually a widow, that is, again, one that the church is responsible for, and has been left alone, has set her hope on God, and she continues in request and prayers night and day. Paul gives three specific uh, descriptions to clarify the kind of widows that the church should take care of, ones that have been left alone. That is, has no one to care for her. Uh, one who has set her hope on God. That is, a believer who has lived for God. Like, put all her eggs in, the, in God's basket. And a widow who prays continually. And this really is a picture of a, a godly widow. One like, say, Anna in Luke chapter 2, who's devoted and faithful to God. A widow like that. That's the kind of person that a church should see as their responsibility. Verse 6 then gives a contrast to that. Here's a contrast to the godly kind of widow, the one that the church should see as their responsibility. There's other kinds of widows that aren't that. So verse 6 says, But she who indulges herself in luxury 
is dead even while she lives. That phrase indulges herself in luxury. The verb refers to self-indulgent living. Some widows came from wealthy families. They weren't in desperate need. They had more than enough, right? That might be what Paul has in mind. Some were the kind of person who wanted to use the church's benevolence and still live for themselves, serve themselves, and benefit themselves. That's not the kind of person the church should see that they're responsible for. Now, Paul will give further descriptions of this problem, this kind of self-indulgent person in verses 9 and 10. But in verses 5 and 6, we see that a true widow is faithful and devoted to God, not self-serving and not self-indulgent. That's the contrast in verses 5 and 6. Paul then goes on in verse 7 and says this, give these instructions as well so that they may be above reproach. So, Timothy, as you're teaching and instructing these things, here's some important instructions you need to give about this whole widow thing. We don't just accept any widows. There's certain kinds of widows that are disqualified and certain other widows that are qualified. I want you to give these instructions, Timothy, Paul is saying, so that they may be above reproach. So make the expectations clear. Um, This is some presumably an area where the church in Ephesus needed some straightening out. So make the expectations clear so we don't just kind of slip into taking care of everybody that says they're a widow. And Paul's concern is that they might be above reproach. A very The very word that Paul has used for deacons and for elders in chapter 3. He wants these widows to be above reproach as well so that they don't bring dishonor and shame to the name of Jesus and to the church there in town. Then in verse 8, Paul returns to what he said in verse 4 about families caring for their widows. So he says, now if anyone, that is the family members, the children and the grandchildren, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. This is a strong warning to the kids and the grandkids of verse 4 and maybe to even some extended family beyond that who might have the opportunity to care for some of these widows. Caring for widows in the family is so central to God's value system, Paul is saying, that um, to forsake that is, is really to deny the faith. He has denied the faith, he says. Um, in fact, caring for widows was even fairly common among unbelievers. It was really the family was viewed as the first line of care, so much so that it was it was not uncommon for households to include widows and aged parents, um, maybe even an aunt or some other relative who had no one to provide for them. You would bring them into your household. And that's why he says, if you don't do this, you're worse than an unbeliever. So don't don't just think that because there's this church family, that's that's your first line of defense. No, the first line of defense is your own family. And if the family refuses to do that and they claim to be a follower of Jesus, they're not following Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. And so families should be the first to care for widows. But for those who've been left alone, the church did take responsibility. We, that's what we see in Acts chapter 6. Now, even though it created some problems there in Acts 6, it grew out of this desire to take responsibility for widows. And it was very intentional. 
And so Paul says in verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list. Notice that. There's a list. They had an official register of widows that the church was responsible to, to provide for and to care for. In fact, by the second century, this had developed even further into something sort of like an order of widows who the church cared for and provided for them, and those widows did service and ministry on behalf of the church. And it doesn't seem to be quite that formalized at this point, but there is a list. And so they did have an intentional system of caring for those who are really widows, those who meet the qualifications of a widow to be cared for. And so a widow is to be put on the list, Paul says, only if she is not less than 60 years old. And so that's another important criteria. It needs to be somebody older. And it will become clear very shortly why that is, uh, that a good amount of the problems Timothy is dealing with in the church and among the ladies is being caused by younger widows. And so that's why he limits it to older widows. There are younger widows who lost their husband while they were still young, and they're looking to the church to care for them, but it's stirring up some problems in the church. That'll become clear shortly, and that's why Paul gives this age limit. Then Paul gives some more descriptions of the kind of woman who really qualifies to be put on the list. And so uh, they're not less than 60 years old. And then he says, having been the wife of one man, a, a one man woman, just like the elders were supposed to be a one woman man, uh, here we have a one man woman. And since Paul is going to tell younger women to remarry, I don't think we should take this so literally that a second marriage would disqualify a woman from being put on the list. I don't think that's Paul's point. It's more about being faithful to her husband while he was alive. That's the key idea, uh, that she is a faithful wife to her husband. So a one-man woman, and then verse 10, having a reputation for good works. That is, she has been known over the years as a woman who has lived out her faith and done so with good deeds. She's well known for her good deeds as a follower of God and a follower of Christ. Then Paul gives a few examples of the kind of deeds he's thinking of. He says, if she's brought up children, that's one of the deeds he's thinking. That would be one of the good works or the good deeds that uh, would mark her out. And as we noted when we were discussing uh, chapter 2, verse 15, there seems to be a situation in the church that was minimizing the value of this, minimizing the value of bringing up children. We know that the false teachers are forbidding marriage. We know that the Artemis cult, which was present everywhere throughout and affected everything within the city of Ephesus, we know that it glorified singleness for women. And so this all seems to have been kind of brought into the church and is affecting um, the view of marriage and family within the church. And so Paul is emphasizing that here, and he wants them, as one of their good deeds, to bear children and bring up children. This is an important part of a biblical worldview, right? We, we see that clear back in the creation mandate in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that uh, the first men and women are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't mean that everyone has to do that. Jesus didn't. Paul didn't, but it shouldn't be minimized or rejected out of hand because of that or because of these other ideas that are floating around on in the winds of Ephesus. It's just part of the human vocation from the time of creation. And so bring up children. 
if she has shown hospitality to strangers, that is, welcomed people into her home and provided and cared for them, another important value in the culture. If she's washed the saints' feet, literally and figuratively, that is, literally she's made sure that uh, people who have come into her home have had their feet washed, but also figuratively in the sense of humble servanthood. If she's been a humble servant to God's people, that's the idea of the saints. If she's assisted those in distress, like found ways to help those with various needs. I think, for example, of Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who made clothes for people in need, that kind of thing, right? She's provided food for, she's cared for the sick. All three of these examples are deep biblical values for all of God's people, not just women, but for all of God's people. Elders are supposed to be hospitable, right? They're supposed to be managers of their household. Well, these are just values of God's people. Paul wants the widows that are put on the list to be models of faithful uh, Christ-likeness. Then he lists off, and if she's devoted herself to every other good work. That's sort of the book into this. It restates the general principle illustrated by these examples, that she is a model of faithful good works in service to Jesus. Then there's another group of widows that Paul says should not be put on the list. Here's ones that the church is not responsible for. He says, but refuse to register younger widows. He gave the age of not less than 60 up above. Now he says, don't, don't register younger widows. Don't put younger widows on the list. Why not? Well, he gives a reason, and presumably this is a problem going on in the church at Ephesus. That's what it seems like, and that's why he has to directly address this. For, giving a reason, when they feel physical desires alienating them from Christ, they want to get married, thereby incurring condemnation because they've ignored their previous pledge. First question that, that we should be asking ourselves is, wait a second, is marriage a bad thing? Absolutely not. No, it's a good thing. All throughout Paul's writings and all throughout the scriptures, it's a good thing. In fact, in this very letter, Paul is going to argue for marriage. And he's going to say that the false teachers who uh, condemn marriage are totally wrong. Marriage isn't a bad thing. In fact, Paul's actually going to say the younger widows should get married. So that's not the problem. Then why does Paul say it, and what is the problem? Well, the problem is they've made some sort of pledge of good faith. Notice what he says. They've ignored their previous pledge. The word pledge is actually a derivative of the word pistis, which means faith. But it can be used of like a promise. And so they've made a pledge of good faith to remain single, to serve the church and all that. And then they're not doing that. And that's stirring up problems in the church. And so they've been overcome with sensual desires. The phrase translated feel physical desires actually comes from a word that refers to sensual passions. And so they're, 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 they're being overcome with sexual and sensual passions. Um, and it's leading them to behave in ways that are contrary to Christ, alienating them from Christ, that are uh, contrary to the way of Jesus. And then that's, that's leading to marriage. And then they're being unfaithful to their pledge of good faith. And so we don't know all the details, but Paul does say in verse 15 that some have abandoned Christ and followed Satan. And so whatever is going on here... Um, they have abandoned in some way, at least some of them have abandoned their faith in Jesus. Um, and some have walked away from him as a result. That's being a negative influence in the church. Maybe it's bringing slander and ill repute on the church. And so forsaking their pledge is 
the first reason not to add younger widows to the list. But along with that, they're also stirring up other kinds of trouble. Look at verse 13. At the same time, they learn to be idle. They're young, they're energetic, right? They're physically fit and able to do things. And now, they've, now they're not working because the church is taking care of them. Now they're not uh, busy about their own home. So they, somehow they're learning to be idle is the idea as they go around from house to house. And so they're bouncing from house to house and they're not merely idle, but they become gossips and busybodies talking about things that's not proper to mention. They, they learn laziness and idleness rather than seizing the opportunity to learn Christ and to serve Christ. They're frittering away their time and their opportunity and they're wasting it. Instead of productive conversation that furthers the way of Jesus, they're gossiping, they're being busybodies, and they're talking about shameful things. And so Paul says, don't put those people on the list. And Paul's pastoral advice to the younger widows then is this, verse 14. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, have children, and manage their household. Um, again, we know, as we've already said, that this is being challenged and contradicted by the false teachers in Ephesus, and it's being fanned into flame because of the cultural ideals that glorified single womanhood. And Paul's like, let's not go there. Marriage is good. Uh, raising kids is good. Managing a household is good. And so, uh, it's desires related to marriage that is part of what's going on and how they're violating their pledge in the first place. So Paul's advice is don't add them to the list if they're young widows. Instead, encourage them to marry and to raise a family. And family life will fill their time and provide great opportunity to learn the discipline and the character in contra contrast to serving themselves. And by the way, when he says manage their own households, notice that. That's the same phrase that he said about the elders. Why? Because uh, the head of the household, the, the man and the head of the household, the woman, worked together in household management in the ancient world. In fact, in most cultures throughout all of history, throughout all of time, that was the case prior to the Industrial Revolution. And so she's a household manager as well. She has responsibilities. If you have a... a if you get married and have a household and have children and have servants and have clients and have employees. There's a lot to manage and a lot of work to be done. And she would work with her husband in that role. So she's not a maid, she's a manager. And that's really important to make sure we notice here. So that's Paul's uh, pastoral advice to her. And that will help, as he says in the last phrase of verse 14, not give the enemy a, an opportunity for reproach. Remember, this is his concern. He wants them to be above reproach. And so the enemy probably are opponents to the gospel and opponents to the church, although the language isn't totally clear. And what Paul is saying is he doesn't want there to be any cause for shame and reproach by opponents to the faith and to the church because these women, you know, who are going around from house to house are stirring up trouble. Let's, let's be done with that. In some cases in Ephesus, it's gotten so bad that some women have already abandoned Jesus and gone back to the world. Look at verse 15. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. This is uh, what Paul has spoken about above, right? Now he just says it directly and bluntly. The problem is serious because it's leading people away from faithfulness to Jesus and turning back to the ways of the world.
And then in verse 16, Paul wraps up the instructions about widows by mentioning one other specific scenario in Ephesus. He says this in verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the the church must not be burdened so it may assist those who are actually widows. The scenario here is a woman who has taken responsibility for some widows herself. Maybe it's a widowed mom. Maybe it's a widowed grandmother. Maybe it's an aunt. Maybe it's just somebody she knows and she's taken that person into her household and her household's going to care for it. The church's responsibility for is for those who have no one to look after them, as Paul's noted above. So the church should not be uh, burdened by somebody else who's taking care of other widows. Now, such extensive teaching on this topic indicates that there was a a real need for it, a real problem in the church. And we see that here. There's a real problem with some widowed women in the church in Ephesus that needed straightening out. And it was causing real problems in the church. It was causing real problems with people outside the church who were looking on. Um, It was a real mess. And Paul had to give some instruction about that. And in some regard... It's likely also why why Paul speaks to how women are supposed to learn in chapter 2. This is all probably connected in some way. And so Paul has given some very specific instructions here to how to minister the system of widow care more effectively in the church at Ephesus. But even though it's addressing a very specific issue for a very specific church, in the first century, we actually learn a number of very valuable things here. Here's some things we learn. We learn the importance of the church taking care of its own who have no one else to take care of them. And the two main categories used to represent that in the Bible are widows and orphans. And we saw that in the book of James as well. This is a high value all throughout the scriptures. And here, there was an intentional system of caring for them. We learned that's important. We should think about that and figure that out in our context as well. Uh, The value system also of family taking care of its own too. We hear that emphasized here as well. Don't just delegate it to the church or delegate it to welfare or delegate it to society. How can we as a family take care of our own? We also hear the value of marriage and motherhood and managing a household as a woman. That's praised here and celebrated here and encouraged here. That's a high value as well. And lastly, we also learn the importance of character. The care of widows is directly tied to their character that embodies the way of Jesus. Only widows who have demonstrated godly character are widows that the church should support. Ungodly character is viewed as a problem that brings reproach on the church. And so we need to bear that in mind as we think through our systems of care today as well. And so while this is addressing a very specific issue, we can step back from it, kind of abstract uh, out from it some important principles that should help us as we meditate on it, think through our systems of care today. Hey, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of all sorts of people, people just like you, people who give $5 a month, $15 a month, $25 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, whatever it is, whatever they can afford, all together making an impact around the world because of their generosity and their support. So thanks a ton for your support. And as always, you can join the team of supporters by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, and setting up a one-time or recurring monthly donation right there. Thanks a ton for your support.